Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Eastman and President Trump launched a campaign to overturn a Democratic election, an action unprecedented in American history. Those were the words written in a ruling this week by U.S. District Judge David O. Carter. In his opinion, Judge Carter went on to say that then-President Donald Trump, more likely than not, committed federal crimes in trying to block President Biden's election win. And we need a landslide so big they cannot rig it. We don't want them to rig it or steal it. We cannot let that happen because this country... His ruling does not mean Trump will be charged with a crime or even investigated. But it does mean that Attorney General Merrick Garland's Justice Department will face even more pressure to ramp up its probe of the January 6th riot and of Trump himself. Those involved must be held accountable. And there is no higher priority for us at the Department of Justice. So what does all of this mean for the DOJ's next steps? What are the likely implications for Trump? And what's Biden's role in where these investigations go from here? And in fact, I told you I would not tell the Justice Department what position to take or not take. And I'm not going to instruct the Congress either. And did you get any? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. To help unpack the details of the judge's decision and where it all fits into the larger investigations into January 6th, I turn to national security reporter Matt Zapatowski. So, Matt, earlier this week, a federal judge said in a ruling that Trump more likely than not committed federal crimes in trying to prevent Congress from certifying Biden's victory in the 2020 presidential election. In layman's terms, what was that judge essentially saying with this ruling? Well, it's a little hard to describe in layman's terms. I mean, the way you the way you put it is right. He wasn't being asked to determine, hey, is Trump guilty of crimes like you would ask a jury after a trial. He was being asked to weigh whether lawmakers on the January 6th committee should have access to emails of this lawyer named John Eastman who had worked with Trump on this whole, I guess you would call it a campaign to overturn the results of the election. He was assessing whether any of the emails were evidence that Trump and this attorney were talking about crimes because if there were, then that would qualify for this thing known in the law as the crime fraud exception. It would mean attorney-client privilege is sort of pierced that these emails can be turned over to lawmakers. So that's why he was assessing did Trump commit a crime or not. Not because the Justice Department had charged Trump with a crime and then a judge is determining is he guilty or not, but should these emails go to lawmakers because some of them is evidence of sort of a crime in progress. He was saying, yes, I have looked at these emails and I've also just assessed kind of the public evidence of Trump's conduct in the run-up to January 6th to determine could this be a crime. Looking at that, I have determined that yes, I think it's more likely than not that Trump has committed a couple of federal crimes. And how much weight does him saying that actually hold? What does it mean that he said this is the case? 
I think there's a, a couple different ways to think about the weight of it. The legal weight in terms of does it mean former President Trump will go to jail? Will the Justice Department charge former President Trump? Legally, it doesn't really mean that. It's not as if the judge has determined this and now the Justice Department must charge Trump or even must investigate Trump. But it does carry some weight in that this is a federal judge expressing his opinion. So there is sort of public pressure now on the Justice Department. Hey, this federal judge has said it's more likely than not former President Trump committed a crime. What are you going to do about that? So the Justice Department has to practice in front of federal judges all around the country and they really take to heart their opinion. So there is some significant symbolic pressure on the Justice Department to do something. And then there's just the sort of political dynamic that this creates. This is sort of a win for the January 6th committee and a blow to President Trump. Now he is going to have to wrestle if he is going to run again in 2024 with the notion that a federal judge says it's more likely than not that he could be a criminal. You know, that's not a good thing for him politically, I wouldn't think. No, it, it doesn't seem like it, though. He is a bit of, of Teflon when it comes to these things. But you mentioned the pressure on the DOJ. Do you know at this point if the DOJ intends to charge Trump with a federal crime? So the department has said very little about this. Merrick Garland has sort of in, in big sweeping terms said, well, we will investigate anyone responsible for January 6th at any level. But that's really kind of a broad, general, almost milquetoast statement you could say about any investigation. It doesn't really give us an idea if they're going after President Trump directly. We know that they haven't requested interviews with folks who were involved not directly in sort of January 6th related stuff, but in this pressure campaign on Pence to sort of block certification of the election. But there are those in our party who believe that as the presiding officer over the joint session of Congress, that I possess unilateral authority to reject electoral college votes. And I heard this week that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. President Trump is wrong. Pressure on Georgia officials to find votes for President Trump. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state and flipping the state is a great testament to our country. We don't have indications that the Justice Department has interviewed people involved in that. And you would think they would want to do that if they view this pressure campaign, apart from January 6th, as a possible federal crime like this federal judge does. Now, they could one day get there, though. And I think the Justice Department would have you believe, look, we're starting with the low-level violent actors of the riot of January 6th, building up from them to kind of the higher-level violent actors. And we've seen them charge some of these far-right groups, organized groups that were planning violence. And then maybe we get to political actors. We haven't seen them, though, yet go directly and aggressively at President Trump himself by interviewing members of his inner circle. Is that unusual for the DOJ, sort of starting with these rioters who were directly involved and then sort of moving up to the people who might be more culpable for setting things in motion? No, that's not at all un unusual. In fact, that is the usual approach, that you would start with low-level figures, potentially get some of them to cooperate and lead you to higher-level figures. And they help conserve both judicial and prosecutorial resources 
so that attention can properly focus on the more serious perpetrators. In complex cases, initial charges are often less severe than later charged offenses. This is purposeful as investigators methodically collect and sift through more evidence. I think what some people are worried about here is that the Justice Department is not necessarily going to find a direct link between the violence of January 6th and what many people see as a related pressure campaign to overturn the results of the election. And if the Justice Department doesn't view as a crime separate and apart from the events of January 6th, this pressure campaign, then they're just never going to get there. You know, I think some people are worried you're not going to have the leader of the Proud Boys or the leader of the Oath Keepers directly talking to President Trump about how they should storm the Capitol. And if that's what justice views as the way to charge Trump, it's never going to happen. Some people think, let's just look at President Trump calling Georgia's secretary of state and saying, find these votes so I can win. President Trump applying pressure to Vice President Pence to not certify the election. This federal judge was viewing that conduct by itself as sort of obstructive. And I think there's some worry among legal commentators that the Justice Department doesn't seem to view it that way and, and is shy about directly investigating that as a possible crime. The worry is that they sort of need a more direct link to the violence. And if they don't find that, if they don't have some fairly high-level cooperator saying, yeah, President Trump told me to storm the Capitol, that they might never get to directly investigating Trump's role in this. Now, other people would disagree with that and say they're just building all these circumstances and then eventually they might get to this more sensitive thing. That's a totally fair thought too, but there is great worry among particularly left-leaning folks, but folks on a lot of the political spectrum that they're sort of shy about investigating the former president because he's the former president. To that point, the January 6th committee has not been super shy about investigating the president. They have been looking into his direct role in that day. How does the Department of Justice see the work of the January 6th committee in that regard? That's a really interesting question. So generally, when you have congressional inquiries that track closely with law enforcement inquiries, law enforcement asks lawmakers to sort of take a back seat. The law enforcement's interest is seen as superior and you don't want the congressional interest stepping on them. You don't want Congress interviewing witnesses, putting that testimony out in public in ways that could spoil a law enforcement investigation. In this situation though, Congress seems very far ahead and they're not bound by the same legal rules and limits that the Justice Department is. They have just raced to try to get as many people's testimony and documents as they can, some of which has slipped out publicly. It is a bit of an unusual situation, but in this instance, it seems like what they're investigating could be parallel, but they are behaving very independent of one another. Some members of Congress hope that they can find things that will spur the Justice Department to investigate Trump or his close allies or charge Trump and his close allies. But then from the Justice Department's perspective, if the committee makes criminal referrals, it could look political that the Justice Department then goes after people that this Democrat-led committee wanted them to. And so far, 
there has not been a lot of interplay between the Justice Department and the committee. It's not like the Justice Department is saying, leave that to us or thanks for this. The Justice Department doesn't seem to be, from what members are, are indicating publicly, telling the committee much of anything and the committee's just plowing ahead. And the committee has made some criminal referrals, though. Is that right? They have made some criminal referrals, not on conduct that they've just found in the world. So in other words, the committee hasn't pointed to evidence it found that, say, Trump incited a riot and then gone to the Justice Department and said, hey, charge Trump with inciting a riot. They have asked the Justice Department to charge, in two instances, witnesses who refuse to comply with their subpoenas. And that's sort of a very narrow thing that actually requires them to make a referral to the Justice Department. If they have a witness who isn't complying with their subpoena, the House can hold that witness in contempt and ask the Justice Department to prosecute them. That has happened in the case of Steve Bannon, a close ally of the president. Congress made a referral. The Justice Department brought charges. That case is ongoing. It happened halfway in the case of Mark Meadows, the president's former chief of staff. He had been cooperating with committee turnover a lot of stuff, but ultimately those sort of talks break down. He refuses to come in and testify under a subpoena. And the committee holds him in contempt, refers him to the Justice Department. The Justice Department for quite some time now has just been mulling what to do with that matter, frustrating some on the committee who feels like that's sort of undercutting them. But those referrals are a little different than I think what some on the committee ultimately see this trending towards, which is they're going to assess the conduct of Trump out in the world, not whether or not Trump or allies cooperated with them and say, hey, we think there might be federal crimes here that you, the Justice Department, should investigate. When we get back from the break, where does this debate over the actions of the Justice Department leave President Biden? If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Another piece of news around these January 6th investigations that emerged this week is that the committee revealed this seven hour and 37 minute gap in the official White House phone record from from that day, from January 6th. And they've suggested that this was a result of some sort of intentional effort to obscure Trump's communications. The committee has been very clear that they're accusing Trump of engaging in criminal conspiracy and that they think that this could be a piece of it. When the DOJ hears evidence like this, what actions are they inclined to take? The Justice Department could act on anything that the committee finds and makes public. The Justice Department can open an investigation just based on reading a newspaper article. Let's say the committee had not found that, but that, you know, Bob Woodward and Bob Costa had on their own uncovered those logs and they never got in the possession of the committee and just wrote about that. The Justice Department could act just on that. They can read news articles in reputable places and say, hey, that is cause for us to investigate. In that particular instance, 
we haven't seen evidence that they've done that, but it's very early. That sort of just emerged publicly. But I think it's things like that that the committee is hopeful for, that they will find things and either publicize them or privately give them to the Justice Department and that the Justice Department will run with them and use grand jury subpoenas and law enforcement powers to pursue them further and see what they might mean. It's a lot easier, though, I should say, for lawmakers who never have to prove it in court and, and frankly don't even seem to often have a great grasp on the law to say, that's a crime, that's a crime, that's a crime, than it is for the Justice Department to actually charge someone with a crime. And I think the Justice Department, because of the last four years and all the political investigations it sort of got sucked into, they're hesitant to start going down the road of investigating political matters, you know, that are a bit of a reach. I think they're a little bit gun shy because when they've got in these political cases in the past four or five years, it generally hasn't ended well for them. And I think there's some shyness about that. Yeah, it's so interesting because, of course, it's harder for the Justice Department to prove something, but sort of steering clear of something because of its political implications has its own consequences, right? We're talking here about an attack on the Capitol and the former president's involvement in that day, that feels very high stakes, something worth wading into sort of regardless of the political implications. How does the Justice Department work through that battle? Yeah, that's exactly what the Justice Department's most vocal critics say, that, hey, you might be afraid of doing something that appears political, investigating President Trump, you know, the de facto leader of the rival political party of the party in power that looks political. But if you're shying away from that because it looks political, isn't that itself political? You know, aren't you sort of making a political calculation not to get involved? And isn't that just as bad, maybe even worse? I think what the Justice Department would say on this question is we don't care about the politics. We're looking at the facts and the law. And if the facts and the law indicate we should investigate or charge someone, then we will. But the opinion of lawmakers in either direction, whether it's Republican lawmakers saying this is a witch hunt meant to undercut Trump's chances in 2024, or whether it's Democrats saying you really need to investigate the head of the party that opposes us, Justice Department would say, we just sort of tune all that out and just look at are there actual potential crimes here? Should we investigate those? And eventually, should we charge somebody with those? Now, one big question here that's come up for me as a person who's hosted this show about the powers of the presidency for several years, and you talked to me many times under the Trump administration about how Trump was putting pressure on the Justice Department and how that was facing criticism. Biden seems somewhat absent here or very reluctant to wade into this debate to get involved. And clearly here, the Democrats want Biden to put pressure on the Department of Justice. Where has this left Biden? What is Biden's position here and what are the consequences of it? You know, I think Biden has periodically made comments. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. But generally, he has been much quieter about this sort of stuff. You can imagine a world where the roles were reversed here. President Trump was not shy at all about 
asking that people be charged, asking that his political opponents be investigated. I mean, he was a lot like Democratic lawmakers are being now and just openly calling for his political opponents to be investigated. President Biden hasn't done that. I think the Justice Department would say that's very appropriate, that it's inappropriate for the president to weigh in on particular criminal matters. But Biden is under a lot of pressure from his party who would like to see President Trump charged and would like to see Biden's Justice Department be more aggressive on that. It strikes me that that generally, but with some exceptions, has just not been Biden's style to weigh in on. And from the Justice Department's perspective, I think they would say that's the right thing to do. Is there anything at this point that you're looking out for that you would expect to instigate immediate action from the Justice Department? Is there anything that could emerge that would push Garland and the rest of the DOJ to take further action against Trump or against some of Trump's allies? Well, I think in the immediate term, we're looking to see what they do with Mark Meadows. That referral has been sitting at the Justice Department for some time with no action one way or the other. We're looking, obviously, for signs that they are going to investigate not just rally, riot, January 6th stuff, but pressure campaign stuff, you know, the Pence Trump conversations, the Trump tweets at Pence, the John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, Trump discussions about overturning the election. Is there something that could get them there? That is a question that I have really wrestled with because on some level, it just seems like there is so much out about these things publicly. And as I mentioned earlier, the Justice Department really only needs a newspaper article to have sort of a predicate to launch an investigation. That if you weren't going to investigate that pressure campaign already, what would it take for you to do it now? And if you did it now, what would that sort of look like? I mean, you've had this evidence all this time. If you did it now only after lawmakers have been crying about it for months, does that make it seem political? Is it political? You know, if you had made the decision you weren't there when it happened and it was publicly reported and now nothing has changed and you're saying, well, now we're going to look at it, boy, that reeks. But maybe there are things that could get them there. Certainly, any kind of these folks charged in the January 6th rioting saying that Trump told them to breach the Capitol or that someone very close to Trump told them to breach the Capitol would get the Justice Department there. So th that could do it. Someone tying the pressure campaign to the violence could potentially do it. But absent those things, I wonder how and if the Justice Department will ever start investigating these things directly and aggressively and what the reaction to that might be too. If they just wait for, you know, months or years and then one day decide, you know what, now we're going to talk to Rudy Giuliani and, and all of these guys, even though nothing has really changed from when there was first public reporting on this, I think they're going to face a lot of questions about whether they just bowed to political pressure. All right, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with logo art by Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.
If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now.